0: If you're enjoying this Crush Step One podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step One Questions podcast ad free in one bundle. Just go to medprep medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step One Bundle. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step One, the ultimate USMLE Step One review, along with my co authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step One podcast based on the second edition of our best selling book. The goal is to provide you high yield and high quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the microbiology chapter of Crush Step 1, 2nd edition. This is Mimi Ackley, narrating part 2. Let's begin with a discussion of gram-positive rods. There are four gram-positive bacillus groups, two of which are spore-forming, bacillus and clostridium, and two of which are not, carinibacterium and listeria. Spores form a protective environment that helps bacteria remain dormant in harsh conditions. Bacillus anthracis, which causes anthrax, is the only bacterium with a protein capsule. It forms spores that live in the soil. Humans get infected from soil or from handling hides of infected animals. Spores germinate in open wounds, the lungs, or the GI tract. In all three cases, local release of exotoxin results in necrosis and hemorrhage of the surrounding tissue. A black edematous lesion, or eschar in cutaneous anthrax, pulmonary and mediastinal hemorrhage and inhalation anthrax, which is also called wool sorter's disease, and bloody diarrhea in GI anthrax. In all three, hematogenous spread will occur without prompt diagnosis and treatment with ciprofloxacin or doxycycline. Bacillus cereus causes gastroenteritis by depositing spores in food, classically reheated rice, which survive the cooking process and then germinate and release enterotoxins into the food. When consumed, the toxin causes nausea, vomiting, and watery diarrhea. Because the syndrome is caused by toxins, antibiotics have no effect. See figure 513. When infection is caused by the bacteria itself, such as IV catheter-related infections, eye infections and contact lens wearers, or wound infections, you should treat with vancomycin. Let's move on to clostridium. Clostridium botulinum toxin blocks acetylcholine release at nerve synapses in the autonomic nervous system and motor endplates, which causes rapid, flaccid paralysis. Spores thrive in anaerobic environments, for example canned or jarred food, and release neurotoxin, which is then consumed. Spores can also be released from the soil by construction work. In infants, the spores germinate in the GI tract, releasing neurotoxin from there and causing floppy baby syndrome. The classic cause is jarred honey. Treatment involves antitoxin and intubation and ventilation. In adults, the GI tract is resistant to colonization, but rarely Clostridium botulinum can infect deep wounds, which is called wound botulism, and release toxin, leading to flaccid paralysis, especially of the cranial nerves. Clostridium spores are introduced into humans through a puncture wound, where they germinate under anaerobic conditions and release the toxin tetanospasmin. Tetanospasmin inhibits GABA and glycine release from Renshaw interneurons, which normally inhibit motor neuron activation. Inhibition of inhibition results in activation. Thus, patients with tetanus have sustained muscle contractions, notably in the jaw, which is called trismus facial muscles, called rhesus sardonicus, and sometimes the back, causing a severe arching of the back, which is called a pistotinus. Treatment involves tetanus toxin immunoglobulin, a tetanus vaccine booster, debridement of the wound, antibiotics, preferably metronidazole, and supportive therapy such as muscle relaxants and ventilation. Clostridium perfringens spores also enter the body through wounds. Once inoculated, they germinate and release toxins that digest local tissue. They also ferment carbohydrates to produce gas, hence the term gas gangrene. Additionally, spores can germinate in food, especially meat, and populate the gut when ingested, releasing enterotoxins and causing watery diarrhea. Severe gut infections can cause a necrotizing enteritis. Clostridium difficile causes pseudomembranous enterocolitis. See figure 514, usually within a month after broad-spectrum antibiotic use, such as clindamycin or ampicillin, which knock out normal GI flora, allowing C. diff to superinfect the colon. Patients experience abdominal cramps, diarrhea, and fever as a result of toxin release. Diagnosis is by toxin detection in the stool. Treatment is with metronidazole, oral or IV, or vancomycin, oral only. IV vancomycin is ineffective in C. diff colitis. For refractory cases, treatment with fidaxomycin or a fecal microbiota transplant can be considered. Let's talk about Listeria next. Listeria monocytogenes is introduced into the host through contaminated foods, usually unpasteurized soft cheeses and cold cuts. It causes gastroenteritis, but can cause invasive infections in those with compromised cell-mediated immunity because the bacteria will live within macrophages. This population includes pregnant women, especially the third trimester, neonates, older adults, and immunocompromised patients. Bacteremia or sepsis from listeria during pregnancy can result in neonatal death or premature birth. Newborns can also acquire it during vaginal birth if the vaginal canal is colonized. The mother can be asymptomatic, resulting in listeria meningitis two weeks after birth. This causes 20% of neonatal meningitis. People older than 50 years and immunocompromised patients are also at risk for listeria meningitis. Listeria is the only gram-positive bacterium that produces endotoxin. Treat empirically with ampicillin, with or without an immunoglycoside, for serious infections, or with trimethoprin sulfamethoxazole, TMP-SMX, or vancomycin if the patient is penicillin allergic. Confirmation of diagnosis is by CSF analysis and culture. Next, Corinibacterium. Corinibacterium diphtheriae spreads by droplets and direct contact, colonizing the pharynx of children. Children rapidly develop gray pseudomembranes that are visible on examination. See figure 515. From there, some strains can release a powerful toxin that damages the heart and neural tissue by inhibiting ADP ribosylation of elongation factor 2, impairing translation and protein synthesis. Patients may present with stridor, hoarseness, respiratory compromise, and a swollen bull neck. If diphtheria is suspected, take a throat swab. Don't scrape the lesions, though. Then treat immediately with antitoxin immunoglobulin antibiotics, which include penicillin or erythromycin, and Tdap vaccine, to ensure future immunity. Confirmation of the diagnosis is by culture on potassium tellurite, which forms gray or black cultures, and on Leffler coagulated blood serum, which reveals rod-shaped pleomorphic bacteria after staining with methylene blue. That's it for gram-positive rods. Now let's talk about gram-negative enteric rods. The enterics are gram-negative rods that either normally colonize the GI tract or cause GI disease, but can cause disease elsewhere. Some cause GI disease by toxin release without cell invasion, such as watery diarrhea without fever. Others cause disease by invasion of intestinal cells, such as bloody diarrhea with white blood cells in the stool and fever. And yet others cause disease by invading the lymph and the blood, which causes bacteremia or sepsis. Enterics also cause diseases in other organ systems, for example, UTIs or pneumonia, mostly in debilitated or hospitalized patients. E. coli normally lives peacefully in the GI tract. If it gains virulence factors through DNA exchange with other enterics, it can cause diarrhea in those who aren't immunized, such as infants in the developing world and adults in the developed world who travel to developing nations. Depending on the virulence factors, three types of diarrhea can result. The first is enterotoxigenic E. coli, or ETEC, which causes traveler's diarrhea, also called Montezuma's revenge. The bacteria bind to epithelial cells and release a cholera-like toxin, causing secretion of electrolytes into the intestinal lumen. Water follows electrolytes, so watery diarrhea results. It can be treated with ciprofloxacin or azithromycin in pregnant women. Enterohemorrhagic E. coli, or EHEC, causes hemorrhagic colitis. The bacteria bind to epithelial cells just like ETEC, but release a shiga-like toxin that blocks protein synthesis in intestinal epithelia, causing cell death. Bloody diarrhea and abdominal cramps result. Of note, the O157H7 strain of EHEC can cause hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS, Fever, anemia, thrombocytopenia, and uremia or renal failure are symptoms. EHEC is usually a foodborne illness, classically caused by undercooked and contaminated hamburger meat. Do not treat EHEC with antibiotics. This has been found to stimulate HUS in some studies. Lastly, enderoinvasive E. coli has the ability to invade intestinal epithelia and also to release shiga like toxin, resulting in an inflammatory response that produces fever, cramps, and bloody diarrhea. White blood cells will be found in the stool. E. coli causes a number of other diseases in susceptible populations. E. coli is the most common cause of UTIs, especially affecting women and patients with Foley catheters. E. coli meningitis is common in neonates. It is the most common cause of gram-negative sepsis in hospitalized patients, and it commonly causes nosocomial, or hospital-acquired, pneumonia. Next, let's talk about Klebsiella. Klebsiella pneumoniae causes nosocomial sepsis. It's the second most common cause after E. coli. It also causes Foley catheter-associated UTIs and pneumonia in those susceptible to aspiration of stomach contents. This includes alcoholic patients, intubated patients, and debilitated hospitalized patients. Klebsiella pneumonia is a violent form of pneumonia that forms cavitations. Sputum is classically current jelly-colored. Most Klebsiella are resistant to ampicillin. Next, Proteus. Proteus mirabilis also causes nosocomial infections and is a cause of UTIs. Urine will be alkaline because of Proteus' ability to cleave urea into ammonia and CO2 with urease. The alkalinized urine creates favorable conditions for enormous struvite renal stones. These are called staghorn calculi because they can fill the entire caliceal system, resembling the horns of a male deer. To see an x-ray image of staghorn calculi, see figure 516. Unique features of Proteus include its motility and its cross-reactivity with some Rickettsial antigens, making it a useful tool to determine whether someone has a Rickettsial infection. This is the weil felix test. See later section called Rickettsia-like infections. Shigella species, of which there are four, cause dysentery by the same mechanism as enteroinvasive E. coli. Transmission is fecal-oral, usually by contaminated water or hand-to-hand contact by someone who hasn't washed properly, and occurs most often in preschools and nursing homes. Bacteria latch onto the intestinal epithelium, invade cells, and release shiga toxin, the same toxin used by enteroinvasive E. coli, which inhibits protein synthesis and causes cell death. The result is an inflammatory response with blood and pus-speckled diarrhea and abdominal pain. Treat with ceftriaxone and not with antidiarrheal medications. Next, let's discuss Salmonella. There are three clinically important species of Salmonella. Typhi, Cholera suis, and Enteritidis. The first is only found in humans, and the latter two live in animal GI tracts and infect humans through food or water contaminated with animal feces. They are examples of Zoonoses. See figure 517. Salmonella typhi, like enteroinvasive E. coli and shigella, invades intestinal epithelium, but then goes on to invade lymph and seeds multiple organs. Look for a history of exposure to animal products or live reptiles. The resulting typhoid fever includes fever, diarrhea, headache, abdominal pain, and inflammation of involved organs, for example the spleen. Light-skinned people may show a transient pink-spotted or salmon-colored rash on the belly, also called rose spots. Diagnosis is through culture of blood, urine, or stool, and treatment is with ciprofloxacin or ceftriaxone. Some may go on to become chronic carriers. Think of the colonization of the gallbladder, and the famous typhoid Mary, a cook who in the early 1900s unknowingly infected 51 people. Most non-typhoidal salmonella species cause diarrhea along with nausea and abdominal pain, sometimes fever, and they self-resolve within a week. Do not treat non-typhoidal salmonella diarrhea. This increases the likelihood of becoming a chronic carrier, unless it's a child younger than 3 months of age or a patient with an immunocompromised state. Salmonella choleraceous is the most common cause of salmonella sepsis and is particularly hard to clear in those without spleens. Salmonella is an encapsulated bug. An antibody-coated or opsonized encapsulated bacterium normally gets caught in the spleen and is then phagocytosed and destroyed by macrophages. Next, let's talk about Yersinia. Yersinia has two medically important species, Yersinia pestis, which causes bubonic plague, and Yersinia enterocolitica, which causes acute gastroenteritis. Yersinia pestis is discussed later. Yersinia enterocolitica is introduced by contaminated foods or focally contaminated water. It invades lymph and blood through the gastrointestinal mucosa and causes fever, diarrhea, and abdominal pain usually in the right lower quadrant because of ileal ulceration. This can mimic appendicitis and is therefore referred to as pseudoappendicitis. Look for exposure to chitterlings or raw pork. Next we come to vibrio. Vibrio has two medically important species, Vibrio cholera, which causes cholera, and Vibrio parahemolyticus. Vibrio cholera is transmitted via the fecal-oral route. Although adults in endemic areas become immune, all children, whether in an endemic area or not, and adults traveling to endemic areas are susceptible. Like ETEC, the bacteria bind to the epithelium and release a toxin that causes over-secretion of sodium chloride into the lumen, by increasing concentrations of cyclic AMP. Water and other electrolytes follow, classically in copious rice water diarrhea. See figure 518. Notably, patients are not febrile and the bowel is not directly injured. Death can result from dehydration, so the mainstay of treatment is hydration and electrolyte replacement. Vibrio parahemolyticus causes gastroenteritis, usually from uncooked fish, commonly in sushi. Next, we come to Campylobacter. Campylobacter jejuni is one of the three leading causes of gastroenteritis worldwide, affecting mostly children. The other two causes are rotavirus and ETEC. Campylobacter jejuni's reservoir is animals, and it is acquired by the fecal-oral route or unpasteurized milk. A prodrome of fever and headache gives way, in half a day, to bloody diarrhea and abdominal cramps because it invades the intestinal epithelium, as seen in Figure 519. This infection is also associated with the development of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is characterized by ascending paralysis and is usually, but not always, reversible. Next, Helicobacter. Helicobacter pylori inhabits the stomach and is the leading cause of duodenal ulcers. It is the second leading cause of gastric ulcers after NSAIDs, which includes aspirin. It produces urease, which neutralizes the gastric pH. Next, Pseudomonas. Pseudomonas aeruginosa is a water and soil-dwelling bacterium that generally does not infect healthy people except when it causes hot tub folliculitis, but it does infect sick and immunocompromised patients and is very resistant to antibiotics. When visible, it looks blue-green and smells like sweet grapes. Important infections can be remembered by the mnemonic B-pseudo. B for burns. Burns infected with pseudomonas lead to sepsis. E for endocarditis, especially right-sided valve endocarditis in IV drug users. P for pneumonia, which is prevalent among immunocompromised patients, ventilator-dependent patients, and cystic fibrosis patients. S is for sepsis. E is for external otitis or otitis media, pseudomonas that burrows into the mastoid from the external ear. Elderly diabetic patients are particularly susceptible to this. U is for UTIs, including pyelonephritis, often by Foley catheter infections. Think hospitals and nursing homes. Finally, D and O for diabetic osteomyelitis. This is found in diabetic patients from foot ulcers, In IV drug users, commonly affecting the vertebrae and the clavicle, and in children, from soil entering puncture wounds through a rubber-soled shoe. In neutropenic patients, pseudomonal bacteremia can lead to ecthema gangrenosum, which is a round black lesion that is ulcerated in the center. These patients are also at risk for pseudomonal typhlitis, infection of the cecum. Next, let's talk about Burkholderia and Stenotrophomonas. Like pseudomonas, Burkholderia capatia and Stenotrophomonas maltophilia also cause hospital-acquired infections, especially in burn patients and cystic fibrosis patients. Also like Pseudomonas, they are very resistant to antibiotics and antiseptics. Next, let's move to Bacteroides and Fusobacterium. Bacteroides and Fusobacterium species make up 99% of the normal gut flora. They are both gram-negative anaerobic rods. Bacteroides fragilis normally lives in peace in the intestine until the intestine perforates, such as through trauma, iatrogenic causes, appendicitis, and ischemia, at which point it forms abdominal abscesses. Because Bacteroides fragilis also lives in the vagina, it can cause abscesses in situations such as septic abortion, pelvic inflammatory disease, or use of an IUD. Bacteroides melaninogenicus also lives in the intestine, vagina, and mouth. It forms a black pigment, hence the name, and can cause necrotizing anaerobic pneumonia when aspirated, for example during a seizure or a drunken state, as well as periodontal disease. Fusobacterium is similar to Bacteroides melaninogenicus in terms of periodontal disease and aspiration pneumonia, and it also causes abdominal abscesses and otitis media. Fusobacterium necroforum is implicated in Lemier syndrome, This is when a sore throat caused by the bacteria spreads from the tonsils to the jugular vein and causes a blood clot to form, which the bacteria then infects, which is called thrombophlebitis. Finally, let's talk about other enterics. Remember that viridans group strep, which we already discussed, are also part of the normal GI flora and can be found co-inhabiting abscesses. Also worthy of mention are peptostreptococcus, a gram-negative coccus in chains, and peptococcus, gram-negative in clusters, which are often found co-inhabiting abscesses and in aspiration pneumonias. Next, let's move on to talk about gram-negative, non-enteric rods. This section includes the Haemophilus species, Gardnerella vaginalis, Bordetella pertussis, Legionella pneumophila, Yersinia pestis, Francisella tularensis, Brucella, and Pasteurella species. First, let's talk about Haemophilus. Haemophilus species are usually acquired through the lungs. There are encapsulated or typed and non-encapsulated or non-typable forms. In the past, encapsulated Haemophila influenza types A through F, especially type B, invaded lung epithelium of children aged 6 months to 3 years as a result of a lack of immunoglobulin to age flu type B. Since routine vaccination with purified type B capsule protein began, the incidence of HIV meningitis, acute epiglottitis, and septic arthritis has significantly decreased in the United States. Still, one should be aware of the clinical presentations for the various infections caused by H. flu. For example, epiglottitis usually presents in children aged 2 to 7 with fever, drooling, Strider and tripodding, with the classic thumbprint sign on lateral neck radiograph. Non-encapsulated H-flu mostly causes otitis media in children and sinusitis and URIs in adults with previous lung disease like COPD. Lack of the capsule limits invasiveness. H-flu infections should be treated with third-generation cephalosporins, such as ceftriaxone or cefoxitine for serious infections, and seftonir for mild infections such as otitis media. There are other disease-causing Haemophilus species that are not acquired through the respiratory system. Haemophilus ducreae causes an STI known as chancroid, see figure 520, which is a painful genital ulcer, sometimes accompanied by unilateral lymph node enlargement. The painfulness of the lesion can be remembered by the common mnemonic, With Haemophilus ducreae, you do cry the inguinal lymph nodes are matted, accumulate pus, and will ulcerate. This disease should be distinguished from, number one, syphilis, caused by treponema pallidum, which causes a painless chancre with bilateral non-separative lymphadenopathy. It should be distinguished from, number two, herpes, HSV types 1 and 2, which have more vesicular lesions and include systemic symptoms such as fever and arthralgias. And from number three, lymphogranuloma venerium, which is caused by Chlamydia trachomatis, in which the chancroid appears well before the matted lymphadenopathy. Finally, a group of slow-growing Haemophilus species can cause smoldering endocarditis. A patient with persistent low-grade fever or heart valve vegetations but negative cultures should be worked up for the hay-sick organisms. This involves growing specialized cultures for two weeks. Normal cultures are negative because these organisms have special growth requirements and therefore this is also referred to as culture-negative endocarditis. Next, let's move on to Gardnerella. Gardnerella vaginalis is a common cause of vaginitis and should be distinguished clinically from vaginal candidiasis and trichomonas. Symptoms include dysuria, itching and burning of the labia, and foul-smelling discharge or a fishy odor. Diagnosis is by examination of cells on a slide, which can be done in the clinic which shows the presence of more than 20% clue cells, which appear as normal epithelium with bacilli in the cytoplasm. To see what this looks like on a slide, see figure 521. Gardnerella vaginalis should be treated with metronidazole. Next, Bordetella. Bordetella pertussis is a particularly virulent organism that causes whooping cough. In the post-vaccination era, whooping cough affects mostly unimmunized infants and young adults as a result of waning immunity. Transmission is through respiratory secretions. After inoculation, a 1-2 to week cataral stage ensues, which consists of low-grade fever, runny nose, cough, and sneezing, followed by the paroxysmal stage, characterized by several episodes per day of violent coughing, followed by an inspiratory whoop, which is a gasp of air through a narrowed epiglottis. Those with partial immunity may not have the whoop, and will present with chronic cough. Laboratory tests may show leukocytosis with an absolute lymphocytosis. Bordetella pertussis doesn't invade the body. Rather, it attaches to tracheal and bronchial, or ciliated, epithelia, and mediates disease through toxin release, which destroys epithelial cells, among other effects. Throat swabs must be done with calcium alginate, because the organism won't grow on cotton, and then cultured on bordet gengu medium. PCR testing is also available. Treatment is mostly supportive. Hospitalization may be required to provide oxygen in severe cases, especially to infants, though. A macrolide antibiotic such as azithromycin or erythromycin can prevent the paroxysmal stage if given in the cataral stage and reduces bacterial shedding in the paroxysmal stage. Household contacts should also be given erythromycin or azithromycin for protection. Next, Legionella. Legionella pneumophilia, which was named for an outbreak at the American Legion Conference in Philadelphia in 1976, lives in water, including air conditioning units, whirlpools, and mist machines, and is usually acquired in the lungs through aerosolized droplets. These bacteria are intracellular parasites replicating inside lung macrophages. Legionella pneumophilia causes two diseases. The milder is Pontiac fever which was named for an outbreak in Pontiac, Michigan, the culprit being an air conditioner. This is in which a flu-like illness, fatigue and muscle aches followed by fever and chills, self-resolves in one week. The second disease is Legionnaire's disease, which is characterized by high fevers and lobar consolidation pneumonia. Legionnaire's disease may be hard to distinguish from pneumococcal pneumonia, except for a few unusual features. The most important is a relatively low heart rate because usually fever is associated with tachycardia, except in this case. Legionnaire's disease can also have flu-like symptoms that may precede lung findings, symptoms of gastroenteritis, and some unusual laboratory test results like elevated liver enzymes, hyponatremia, and hypophosphatemia the electrolyte abnormalities are due to legionella organism's ability to damage the juxtaglomerular cells of the kidney and lead to a type 4 renal tubular acidosis with a hyporeninemic hypoaldosteronism if sputum is acquired gram stain will show many neutrophils but few to no organisms this requires a silver stain to see but a urine test for legionella can be positive Because it is intracellular and cannot be killed by penicillin, it is an atypical pneumonia and requires atypical coverage by macrolides, tetracyclines, or certain quinolones. Other atypical pneumonias which are discussed later include those caused by chlamydia and mycoplasma. The next three organisms have the following in common. They are zoonoses, which are infections acquired from animals. They are so virulent as to be able to infect any tissue they come in contact with. They are facultative intracellular parasites, which means they inhibit phagocytosis and therefore replicate within macrophages, and they are treated with an aminoglycoside such as gentamicin or streptomycin. The first of these three organisms is Yersinia. Yersinia enterocolitica was previously described. Here we discuss Yersinia pestis, which causes bubonic plague. It is carried by rats, prairie dogs, and squirrels, particularly in the southwestern United States, and it's transmitted by flea bites. As a facultative intracellular organism, it resists phagocytosis and multiplies within phagocytes. Then it moves to lymph nodes, usually but not always, causing the nodes of the groin or axilla to swell and become red and hot. Fever and headache are also seen. Hematogenous spread leads to organ involvement and hemorrhages under the skin that look black, hence the black death. Spread to the lungs can cause hemorrhagic pneumonia, which is called pneumonic plague, that can transmit from person to person. Untreated, there is a 75% mortality rate, so have a high index of suspicion and treat immediately with gentamicin or streptomycin. The second organism of these is francisella. Francisella tularensis, which causes tularemia, causes a bubonic plague-like illness. Transmission occurs through direct contact with rabbits or through bites of deer flies or ticks. Ulceroglandular tularemia occurs after a bite, in which a skin ulcer with a black base develops, followed by fevers, headaches, red swollen lymph nodes, and eventually hematogenous spread with organ involvement. Besides the skin ulcer, it is almost identical to bubonic plague but has a much lower mortality rate, 5% if untreated. Tularemia can also cause pneumonia from inhaling aerosols while skinning an infected animal, or from bacteremia after ulceroglandular tularemia. The eyes and GI tract can also be the primary source of infection. Because it is so virulent, Culturing is dangerous, so diagnosis rests on the presence of antibodies to francisella or a test for cellular immunity. Treat tularemia with gentamicin and doxycycline. The third and final organism in this section that causes zoonosis is brucella. Brucella species, of which there are many, are contracted from handling meat or milk from an infected animal. A classic patient is someone who works with animals or is in the meatpacking industry, or as a traveler to countries where milk is unpasteurized or animals are not immunized. Unlike Yersinia and Francisella, it doesn't cause buboes, which are red swollen lymph nodes, but rather causes chronic systemic symptoms such as fever, chills, sweats, backache, and headache. The fever can be what's called undulating, which means it rises throughout the day and then is normal again in the morning. It is implicated in the culture-negative endocarditis, sacroiliitis, and infections of various other organ systems. Diagnosis is by culture, which can take four weeks to grow, or serologic testing, in which antibodies indicate current infection, whereas subdermal testing for cellular immunity only indicates exposure. Treat brucella with doxycycline plus an aminoglycoside, or TMP-SMX, in children. That's the end of part two. In part three, we'll continue this section and move on to the next section of the chapter. Thanks for listening.
0: With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.